Let me do a little uh, mind-reading demonstration this morning. Um, I'm going to ask everybody to cooperate. And if you know the trick to this, just play along. Okay, pretend, pretend like you don't know it. Don't say anything. Just, uh, just go along with it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You've got to do this in your head. If you need paper and pencil or kick off a shoe, you can do that too. But you do this in your head. First of all, pick a number from 2 to 9. You can pick 2, you can pick 9, any number in between. A number from 2 to 9. Everybody got one? Yes, if you have one. Have one? From 2 to 9. Don't tell me what it is. All right, now multiply that number by 9. Now, here's your times 9s for those of you that have been out of school for a little while. I didn't want us to get hung up on this point, okay? So multiply your number by 9. Now, you've got a two-digit number. Add those two digits together. You've done that? All right, after you've added those two digits together... Subtract 5 from that number. Everybody tracking with me now? Okay. Don't say Don't tell anybody what you got. Now, take that number. Pop the next thing there, boys. And correspond it to a letter of the alphabet. A for 1, B for 2, C for 3, and so on. Okay? And you've got a letter in your mind, right? Now, I want you to think of a country that starts with the letter that your number corresponds to. You got that? Hmm? Think of a country. I'll give you just a second. Huh? No, we don't have a list of countries. Sorry. <laughs> but think, do the best you can. Think of a country that starts with the letter you've got. All right. Now, look at the last letter in the name of that country. Think about what's the last letter in the name of that country. I want you to think of an animal whose name starts with that letter. Okay, I don't have a list of animals for you either, so you're on your own. Okay, you got one? Now, look at the last letter in the name of that animal. And think of a color. All right? And then I would tell you there are no orange kangaroos in Denmark. Did I get anybody? Raise your hand if I got you. I got a few. It's about 65% is about how it works out. Can't give away my secret on that. All right, I've completely lost control. Shh. Aren't you glad you can't read people's minds? You ought to be. And you ought to be glad they can't read yours. Because the chances are, for every negative thought that you've ever had about someone, this is hard for us to believe because we're so self-centered. They've probably had a negative thought or two about you. I mean, church is a great place to be honest and just admit that we are inclined to categorize people. We're inclined to draw conclusions about people based on the flimsiest of evidence and then to judge them as being wrong or even just judge them as being different. And guess what? At the same time, they're doing it to us, and how dare they? Now, you would think in church it wouldn't be that way. But it is. And the truth is, it has been for thousands of years. James has to address that same situation among the Christians he writes to in the early church. If you've got your Bible, turn over to James chapter 2. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you something. 
I've preached on this scripture exactly one time in 25 years of ministry. And the truth is, I was tempted to skip it today. Because on the surface, the passage, the illustration that James uses, doesn't seem to be real relevant to our world. In fact, when some of us understood here in the the last minute or so that this message was about favoritism, we kind of thought, no problem with that, and we checked out. You've checked out now. You're thinking about your golf game. You're thinking about where you want to go to eat lunch, okay? You're you're thinking about what you're going to do this week. Don't do that. Bring it back in because when we push past the surface and we see the principle that James is going to show us, we will see that it is extremely relevant to our lives today. We're going to start off in James chapter 2 and verse 1. Give me a second to catch up with you here. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? You know what? We could close the book, say a prayer, and go home right there. Really? What more needs to be said? I I mean, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of ways to interpret that. James is asking us a very pointed question. How can we claim to be followers of Jesus if we prefer some people over others? If we show favor to people based on our personal prejudices or our preferences or or the fact that we think we can gain something from them. He's talking about showing favoritism. So there are, are two people, and I choose one over the other because... I like this one better. I like the way they look. I like the way they're dressed. I like the way they're t- they talk. I think they can benefit me in some way, and I don't see any benefit coming to me from the other person. Favoritism means to choose one over the other based on illogical, unreasonable conclusions, prejudices. Preferences. It's choosing to associate ourselves with certain people and withdraw from other people. And at this point, I wish James was talking to unbelievers, don't you? But he's not. James' letter was sent to the church. James' letter was sent to, to Christians. I mean, we think that we could kind of expect that type of behavior from unbelievers, right? But James sets us up right from the beginning because he addresses this to my dear brothers and sisters. He's talking to Christians. He says, this word is for those of you who have totally, who have been totally accepted by God. You've been totally accepted by God in spite of your sin, in spite of your dysfunction, in spite of your broken promises, in spite of all the junkets in your life, you have been completely accepted by God. Now, why would you turn around and reject people based on dumb things that you wouldn't want God to reject you over? You know what we're saying when we show favoritism? We're saying we have a higher standard than God does. You think about it. Favoritism sets a higher standard than God does. I I mean, He took me. He accepted me. He'll take anybody. 
Don't you laugh at that. He took you too. He'll take anybody. He accepted all of us with all of our shortcomings and all of our problems and all of our irregularities and all of our strangeness, but we will turn around and reject other people for some of the most insignificant things imaginable. I mean, what if God just decided one day to start accepting us based on the way we accept others? James says it is so easy to drift into this kind of thinking. to set up categories that God doesn't even recognize so that at the end of the day, we have a higher standard of who who we will or will not accept than God does. And, And then he follows this with the illustration that on the surface, again, doesn't seem real relevant to where we live. But there just might be more to it. I don't think any of us would do what James is going to describe to us here. But follow along in verse 2. He says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. Now, that's a sign of wealth today, just like it was then. Okay? So someone comes into the meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. Uh, the, the, the old King James uses a great phrase here. It says they're dressed in vile raiment. Vile raiment. You know what that word vile means? It means dried, caked on dirt. This is not somebody who's just freshly dirty. This is the condition of their clothes. Now, watch verse 3 because James is going to describe favoritism for us in verse 3. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. There it is. Special attention. But we would never do that, right? I mean, we would never outwardly demonstrate that kind of prejudice against poor people and favoritism toward rich people. But watch now. James is just setting us up. He goes on. Verse 4. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? You're making judgments with an evil motivation. Here's how this hits home for us. A guy comes in who obviously has a lot of money. I mean, he drives in the parking lot in a nice car. He's driving a 2011 already, and man, it's nice. He comes in, he's dressed nice, and he looks like he smells good. Maybe he didn't get close enough to smell him, but he looks like he smells good. And we think, hey, you know, economic times being what they are, even churches are being squeezed economically. Even things are a little tight for us. We could use this guy in our church because I bet he would give. I bet he would tithe. He's prominent, well-known. Let's make sure we give him some special treatment. Let's give him the best seat. Let's make sure his coffee is hot. Fix just like he likes it. Let's give him some special treatment. And, at, and then another guy walks in, and we go, you know, the poor guy. What? Man, can't you at least wear a clean shirt? All of us have been culturally conditioned to give preference to the wealthy 
those who seem to be prominent or in power or the famous. We've been culturally conditioned for that. Particularly, especially when he shows up the same time as the poor guy and we have to choose. James says, here's what you've done. You've placed a value on people based on things that God doesn't even recognize. Based on things that God doesn't even see. In the church, you're doing this. In the church where we're all blessed and forgiven and accepted by God. And this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. And we're all happy. We're dividing up, we're sizing up people based on appearance and we're making value judgments. We're making benefit judgments based on things God never recognizes. Listen, listen. God has gone to extraordinary sacrificial lengths to make us one. To make the church a unified body. Sacrifice. Extraordinary length. He sacrificed His only Son to die and forgive us of our sin. And we go and chop ourselves up into little categories. Rich, poor, black, white, haves, don't haves. Do's, don'ts, Jews, Gentiles. It's like we're trying to undo the oneness that God has sacrificed for us to have. And we've become judges. We've drawn conclusions. We've looked at evidence, however thin and shallow it might be, and we've made some final decisions about people. Well, they're guilty of having too much money. They don't have enough money. They're not from here. They're too dark. They're too thin. They're too fat. They don't speak the language. And James says that kind of judgment is based on evil motives. We size each other up a lot of times. And brace yourself. This is tough stuff. I'm sitting right here with you on this. But we size each other up a lot of times based on this. How can you benefit me? How can you benefit me? What can I get as a result of getting close to you? How can I gain from what you have or who you are? And and that attitude is so subtle, but it surrounds us in this nation and in this culture. And James is telling us if we want to have a real living faith, a faith that works, we have got to get rid of it. We've got to start thinking differently. We've got to start thinking like God thinks, seeing like He sees, thinking in terms of who God made us to be, and quit dividing ourselves up based on some prejudice or some judgment that God doesn't even think is important. And I'm going to step out on the limb here, and I'm going to say this. I think most of the problems that churches have, you think back to the church of your childhood, or maybe those of you that are here today and you go to another church, you think about this. I believe that most of the problems churches have, and every church has them, Most of the issues that divide churches revolve around this issue. How we value other people and devalue others. Based on things that don't matter to God. The problems in most churches stem from people dividing uh, dividing each other up, sizing each other up, putting each other into categories that God doesn't even recognize. And James says, it has got to stop. It's got to stop. Remember, this was the earliest days of the church. 
James says we've got to stop showing favoritism and partiality. It will destroy the church. And then what he writes next makes me kind of uncomfortable. Maybe it'll make you uncomfortable too. I don't want to be by myself on this. Because James is going to tell us what God really values. Look at verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Underline that word chosen in your Bible. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who loved Him? James says you're valuing the wrong things. You're showing favoritism to the rich person. You're ignoring the poor person. And James says, let me tell you how God thinks. He's more honored by the faith of the poor person. Doesn't that make you uncomfortable? Makes me uncomfortable. Let me tell you why God's honored by the faith of the poor person. Because it's hard to maintain faith in a good God when life is not good. It's, it is difficult to maintain your faith in a good God when life is not good. And, and some of us know that's true today, don't we? Not because of poverty, maybe, but because of sickness or death or a struggling marriage or an addiction. It's hard to maintain faith in a good God when life is not good. And James says, you know what's important to God? Faith. You know, back in Hebrews, one book ahead of this one, it says, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. What's important to God is faith. And the poor are rich in faith, James says, because, listen to me, it takes more faith to be poor and believe in God than it does to be rich and believe in God. It takes more faith to have nothing and believe in God than it does to be affluent, affluent, and believe in God. James says you're honoring the wrong thing in your church. Faith is what's most important. And yet even in the church, we tend to value the wrong things. We honor and promote and prefer the wrong people. James says in verse 6, you dishonor the poor. In other words, James says you're, you're insulting the very ones that God honors the most because of their faith, because you honor the wrong things. Now, he unpacks that a little bit. He goes on in verse 6. He says, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? You know, in, in that culture, it was the wealthy who had all the power, especially in the court system. It, it, the poor had no standing at all, and they had no chance for justice. It was just about impossible for a poor person to get justice through the court system of that day against a wealthier person. And, and James is saying, look how messed up you are. Not, you're valuing the wrong things. You're honoring people who are dragging you into court, who are abusing you because of your, your status, your social, your economic status. And, and what's more, they ridicule your faith in Christ. And you're falling all over yourselves to give them the good seat because you think you can get something from them. You think you can lift yourself up by associating yourself with them. Now, you know what the truth is? The truth is that the rich-poor thing doesn't get a lot of us today, does it? I mean, it doesn't hit a lot of us. 
this other thing. Now, it's true. Some of us don't like rich people. I just, we're just being honest here today, okay? We see somebody driving a nice car, wearing nice clothes. We automatically make a set of assumptions about them. Richie. Well, they think they're better than everybody else. Snobs. Right? Others of us don't like, don't, don't like poor people. You think they're lazy. You think they're just trying to feed off the welfare system. It's quiet in here. Some of us don't like fat people. And others of us don't like skinny people. Some older people don't like younger people. They're all hoodlums. They're all just waiting to snatch my purse. They ride their skateboards all over the place. (laughs) And some younger people don't respect older people. Well, they're out of touch. They don't know anything about anything. Some of us don't like black people. Or Hispanic people. We might not ever say that out loud. Goodness, no, I would, but we do, or we don't, right? We don't like them. Some of us, maybe we had a, a father or a grandfather that fought in World War II, and we don't like Oriental people. We don't even bother to find out whether, whether they're from Korea or China or you know uh, Indonesia somewhere. We just don't like Oriental people. Some of us have an attitude against divorced people. Some of us don't like single moms. Well, I wonder what she did. Where's her man? Some, some older single women don't like younger single women. You know, competition. Some of us don't like stay-at-home moms. Some of us don't like working moms. Well, if she loved her kids, she'd stay she'd be at home with them. <laughs> some of us don't like uh, some of us don't like athletes. We don't like jocks. Right? And, and some of us don't like artsy creative types. I mean, you think they're all gay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Some of us don't like people with lots of kids. Well, what in the world? Six kids. How irresponsible. What were they thinking? <laughs> hey, and some of us see somebody who doesn't have any kids or has one or two, and we think they're selfish. We think they're limiting God. Some of us don't like parents who send their kids to public school. Some of us don't like parents who homeschool. And then neither sets of those parents like parents who send their kids to private school. And listen, we could go on and on and on. But you know what? None of us will ever be able to come to this church or any other or, in fact, take 15 steps out in the real world without bumping into somebody who represents a category that we don't like or that we kind of get an attitude about. And God in heaven is going, hang on a minute. You were dying in your sin and going to hell. I mean, you were rebellious. 
and I forgave you and accepted you. And even now that you're a believer, you break your promises and you ignore me and you stumble into sin and I forgive you and I forgive you and I forgive you. And then you come in here on Sunday morning to worship me and you start making decisions based on, what is it again? Skin color? Nationality? How much money somebody has? Are you kidding me? You're drawing conclusions about people you don't even know. You don't know their story. You don't know their circumstances. You don't know anything about them. You're making judgment calls based on no evidence. And God says, how would you like it if I treated you that way? I mean, what if salvation was that way? What if the only way to be saved was to have a certain skin color or a certain IQ or a certain amount of money? I think we would all fall on our knees and cry out, I am sorry, I'm sorry. And I think that's James' point. We should be convicted. Because we're supposed to be the one unified body of Christ. That's why God went to those extraordinary sacrificial links. But there's just something about us that leads us to classify and divide. James goes on. He gives us a solution. I'll tell you, I'm glad the solution is not like people you don't normally like. I struggle with that, don't you? Yeah, you do too. So you don't have to admit it, but you do too. Verse 8. Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is so simple. The solution goes back to very basic Christian teaching. I mean the most basic. When we run into that category of person that we tend to judge or we steer away from or that thing begins to rise up in us that makes a judgment call about them, we simply love that person as if they were us. We love, the solution is that we love people the way we want to be loved. That will solve this problem in the church. And instead of seeing black or white or rich or poor or suit and tie you know, versus blue jean shorts and flip-flops, instead of seeing those differences, if we would just see ourselves and love that person the same way we want to be loved. You know that comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the Old Testament law in the book of Leviticus. That's, that's where the idea first originated. And then Jesus was asked one time during his, his ministry, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said it's got two parts. The first part is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second part is just like it, is equal to it. It's the second part of the most important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to tell you what a healthy church looks like. They get along with God, and they get along with each other. They love God, and they love each other. Jesus says if we'll just get those two things in place, everything else will work itself out. If we will, when we see that person that we might be prejudiced against, that we might be prone to judge, if we'll just see ourselves, if we'll see ourselves instead of our preferences, 
See ourselves instead of rich or poor, black or white, young, old, Hispanic, single, married, and just treat people the way we want to be treated. Love them the way that we would want to be loved. The problem of favoritism and partiality would be eliminated. But we've got to see through God's eyes. We've got to see things the way God sees them. We have to look at others through a new set of lenses and think differently. Put our faith to work. Apply our faith so that it makes a difference in our relationships with other people. Now, in just a minute, you're going to wish I had stopped right there. Because just in case we haven't quite got our heads around it, James is going to make it as plain as you will find it in the Scripture. Look at verse 9. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin you are guilty of breaking the law. You know, when I first started studying this, I realized that I could not remember ever having confessed this as a sin. I couldn't recall ever praying, Lord, please forgive me for having a bad attitude toward these people or that people or this category of person or that type of person. This is pretty cut and dry, isn't it? I mean, there's not a lot of wiggle room here in this passage of Scripture. There are some Scriptures where you can kind of go, well, I kind of see it this way. And somebody else can go, well, I see it like this. But James says, favoritism is sin. If you're showing favoritism, you're sinning. Okay? This is not, you know what, you really need to tighten up on that. Let's do better next time. Hey, this is something we might need to work on. We're going to have a 13-week class to show us how it would be better if we didn't show favoritism. That's not what this is at all. This is James saying, you need to understand this. It is sin. Man, I, you know what? Our, ear, our 2010 ears can't hardly hear that. Ooh, what? Sin? Who says sin? Who talks about sin? I mean, I, I thought adultery was a sin. It is. I thought murder was a sin. It is. And so is showing favoritism. And so adulterers and murderers and people who show favoritism all end up in the same group. They're sinners. Now, I got some good news. As far as I know, as far as I can recall, I don't have any illustrations of this from our church. You can reach around and do this right here. Because I I just don't think, I can't remember in five years ever seeing anybody in this church give preferential treatment to some people and, and, and demean or ignore other people. But listen, I think the potential for it is in every one of our hearts. We, You may not and I may not struggle with it in here, Hey, but we might struggle with it at the grocery store, right? Or we might struggle with it out on the highway. I mean, everybody knows Asians can't drive, right? Not true. Got to say that for the recording, not true. They're back there in the booth doing this to their ears. Can't hear that. But see, we, we may not struggle with it here, but we struggle with it out there. We get outside church world, we struggle with it. Because it's in our hearts. It's in mine. It's in mine, and I want you to know something. I hate it. 
I hate it. I, I never saw it as a sin. I, I just said, well, that's just the way I am. I mean, that's just the way I was raised. I was raised in the South, and things are different. People just don't know. And you, you know, you may not know this uh, about me. If you know me very well, you do. When I'm uncomfortable with something, a lot of times I'll joke about it. So sometimes I'll make jokes about prejudice and favoritism that aren't jokes. They're coming out of the, the, the pain in my heart over realizing that this attitude is in my life and, and it's in your life. James says, look, for the health of the church, for the health of the church, let's call this thing what it is. It's a sin. And let's deal with it. Let's confess it as sin. Let's get it out of the way. And when we see those people that we've always judged, or we've always been prejudiced against, or we've always rejected, or we've always looked down on them, instead of avoiding them, open yourself up and approach them and find a way to love them in the way you would want to be loved. I'm going to tell you something. If we will do that, if we will do that over time, this sin will be driven out of our hearts and it will be driven out of the church. I've got two things for you as we try to find a place to land this morning. Who is that person for you? Who is that type of person? That type of person, as soon as you see them, you start to form a judgment. As soon as you see them, everything negative you've ever thought or felt about that type of person begins to rise up in you. Who is that? You, it may not be that you, I mean, you may not even know them. You, you may not know anything about them, but you just start to size them up. Would you be willing this morning to take a giant step forward in your faith by admitting, I have sinned. I have sinned against this person. I've sinned against these people by showing favoritism and partiality, by being prejudiced. W would you be willing to recognize this behavior and this attitude and, and say to God, God, it's a sin. Please forgive me for being so judgmental. Forgive me, God, for setting a standard that's higher than yours. Forgive me, Lord, for forgetting that the train wasn't moving as fast when I got on it as I try to make it move for other people. And here's the second thing. Wouldn't it be great if this church, and not just this church, if the body of Christ would just decide to love everybody we come in contact with, no matter their skin color or their nationality or how they're dressed or where they're pierced or, or, or what kind of tattoo they've got or how they talk, how much money they make or, or the fact that they don't have any money. If we just decided to love them and honor them and accept them the way that we want to be loved and honored and accepted, I'm going to tell you something. If we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves, it will be revolutionary. It will make more of an impact on our community than anything else we could ever do. If people knew, I can go there and be loved and accepted and honored. No matter who I am, what I am, what my condition, where I'm from, what I have, what I don't have. We won't be able to keep people away.
James says if we'll do that, then we won't have little pockets of division and segregation in the church based on stuff God doesn't recognize. We will be one. We will be unified. We will be the united body of Christ as God designed it to be. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.